and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working today in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and up top, I just want to say thank you to all of my new listeners. So great to have all of you here. And also want to give a shout out to David. Thank you so much for donating to the podcast. I really appreciate it. It helps keep the lights on, helps with hosting costs. So thank you so much for your generous donation. And if any of you out there would like to donate, you can do so by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com, clicking on the PayPal button, and feel free to donate. And now, folks, I have to tell you, there is so much happening in the world of animation. It is fantastic. And speaking of money, I want to let all of you students know out there about some of the scholarships that are available to you right now. All of the links for the scholarships and for the events that I will be talking about today will be featured on the Animated Journey Facebook and Twitter page. The Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash the Animated Journey. And the Twitter page is at Anim Journey. That's at A-N-I-M-J-O-U-R-N-E-Y. First up is the John Locker Memorial Award. Now this is for full-time college students who are cartoonists, and it's open to students ages 17 through 25 living in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. The prize includes $1,000, an all-expense-paid trip to the Association of American Editorial Cartoonists, and a VIP pass to the 2016 CTN Expo, Deadline is April 15th. Next up is the Phyllis Craig Scholarship, and this is offered through Women in Animation. Phyllis Craig was one of the founding members of Women in Animation. It's for full-time and part-time students who are studying in the United States and who are U.S. citizens or registered aliens. The deadline is April 29th, which is Phyllis's birthday. And next up, this one is brand new. It was just announced through ASIFA Hollywood. It's the 2016 ASIFA Hollywood's Animation Educators Forum Scholarship. Now, this is really rad. I was just at the ASIFA Hollywood membership meeting last week, and they announced that they were going to be doing this soon. They currently have $34,500 available for scholarships. And they're giving them away in increments of $2,500 to $5,000. So there's a lot of money out there for you students. It's going to be an online application. The website's going to open on April 23rd, and the deadline will be June 15th. And like I said, the winners of the scholarship will be receiving between $2,500 and $5,000, as well as a one-year associate membership to ASIFA Hollywood. Now, this is a big deal because ASIFA Hollywood currently has two levels of membership. The first one is the associate membership level. This is the level that allows you to vote in the Annie Awards, which is a big deal. If any of you have had the chance to either go to the Annie Awards or to watch it online, it is our premier way of celebrating those in the animation field. So if you get the scholarship, you'll have a chance to vote. So that's a really big deal. And it's open to all students. Doesn't matter where you live and you can be either an undergraduate or a graduate student. Next up, California State University is offering a scholarship for one of their classes that they'll be offering this summer. The class is Nickelodeon, an overview from development to pitch. It will be held July 11th through July 24th, 2016. And in this class, you'll have a chance to work with show creators, directors, 
storyboard artists and professional designers to figure out how to develop and pitch an animated television show. And you can apply to win one of four scholarships ranging from $500 to $2,000. The deadline for that is April 25th. And then that brings us up to events. There are so many events, you guys, happening this month. First up, I've been talking about this and talking about this. You guys need to get on this. Nickelodeon's animated shorts program. Deadline is April 15th. If you have an idea for a show, if you have an animatic, a comic book, sketches, designs, submit them for this. It's a big deal. You get a chance to have a short created and possibly have a television show made out of that. So check out their website for details on that. Next up, the University of Southern California is having their first frame 2016 screening, which is the annual student screening of animated shorts. And this includes 2D, 3D, stop motion, and virtual reality shorts. It looks really interesting. It's on Friday, April 15th at 7.30 p.m. No RSVP is required, and it's followed by a catered reception, and it will be held at the Directors Guild of America in Los Angeles. Next up, this weekend, so many events are going on. There's four events, you guys. First one is California State University in Fullerton is having an exhibit called Happy Happy Joy Joy, 25 Years of Creator-Driven Animation. This is a free event. It's going to feature art from 25 years of Nicktoons. There's going to be a talk from 2 to 3 o'clock, and then there's a reception from 4 to 8. Also on Saturday is the New Road School Young Filmmakers Panel. This will be from 1.15 to 3.45. Tickets are only $6.17, and it's going to be at the Moss Theater in Santa Monica, California. Some of the notables who will be there include Chris Nee, who's the showrunner for Doc McStuffins, Eric Robles, who created Fanboy and Chum Chum, as well as Dan Povenmire, who's the co-creator of Phineas and Ferb, along with a host of other really talented and awesome people, so you want to make sure to check that out. Next up is the CTN Road Trip. Now that's on Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., in Burbank, and it's a chance for you to go and check out different artists' works. So you'll be able to walk around, go to different booths, chat with artists, buy their books, buy their postcards, buy their prints, buy all of their stuff. You know, support your local artists and artists that are coming in from all over the world. So make sure to check that out Saturday and Sunday. And finally, Women in Animation is having a confidence workshop learning the three keys to harness, embody, and implement confidence every day, facilitated by BU Fully. It's on Saturday, April 16th. Doors open at 9.30 a.m. The workshop starts at 10 a.m. It's $60 for Women in Animation members, $75 for non-members. RSVP is required, and it's pretty cool. The three people that are going to be there are Alexis Jackson, founder and CEO of BU Fully, Sonia Miller, who has a master's degree in leadership and over 20 years experience in helping teams and companies with leadership development, and Pam Owens, who has spent the past 18 years touring the country as a keynote speaker, executive coach, and consultant. So this looks really cool. If you want to learn more about leadership development, more about being confident, more about leading teams, this is the event for you. So check that out. And again, 
All of the information for these events and for these scholarships are on the Animated Journey Facebook page and the Animated Journey Twitter account, so make sure to check out at AnimJourney on Twitter and Facebook.com slash TheAnimatedJourney to get all the links so that you can go out and go to all of these different events and apply for these scholarships if you are a student. And now that brings us to episode eight. Guys, I am super excited about this episode. It's actually going to be a three-part episode because myself and my guest had so much fun. The guest today is Margie Bordner. Margie has been one of my very good friends for a couple of years now. It was pretty cool. I actually first met Margie at church a couple of years ago when I, I used to live up in San Francisco. And I was at the after-church reception eating a donut, talking to someone, and I mentioned that I was an animation student. She said, oh, Margie does animation. You should go talk to her. And from that started a friendship that has gone on for several years. Margie is a really rad person. She has a really, really cool story. She is super talented. And it was just really exciting to get to talk with her. And we basically got to record the kind of conversations that we have all the time. So that was just really, really fun. So I know that you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, on with the show. Hello, everyone. My guest today is the amazing Margie Bordner. Margie is one of the coolest people that I've ever met. She's not just a great animator, but she's also a really good friend. And I'm really excited to be talking with her today. She has worked on some really amazing projects, of one of them being Squidbillies for Adult Swim, the Emmy Award-winning Word Girl for PBS. And currently, she is a lead animator for an iPhone game called Mino Monsters, as well as working on some personal projects, which we will also touch on today. Margie, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me and for that fancy introduction. <laughs> oh, yes. That's, that is, I pride myself on giving people the fanciest of intros. <laughs> I feel like a real animator. Yes. Well, you are a real animator and you, you've animated wonderful things and we will talk about them all today. Hooray. Hooray. So I always like to start the show at the very beginning. All right. You know, finding out where people are from, their artistic influences, childhood, the whole shebang. So let's start with that. Oh, the very, very beginning. Very beginning. Well, I was born in California, <laughs> the home of American animation. <laughs> so we really want to start at the beginning. Um, yeah, I, I basically, I, I was a military brat, so we moved around a little bit, but we settled down after I was about in the third grade and we settled down in Georgia. So I grew up in the deep South, actually, um, even though I don't think I have an accent. I always feel weird saying that because I, I have, I don't hear it myself and other people tell me I don't have one, but I'm always worried I developed one and secretly I have one now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I lived there pretty much my whole life until I went off to college. And uh, yeah, it was a small town. It wasn't tiny, but it was uh, small enough that nobody knew what an animator was or what animation was. You know, everybody knew what cartoons were. Uh, we all went to see movies, but nobody thought about how things were made. So when I expressed an interest in that, when I finally found out what it was, no one could help me. You know, it was like, well, what do I do? How do I become this? And everyone was like, I don't know. I've never, I'd never even thought that anybody made these movies. I just went and watched them. <laughs> so 
I basically headed off to college to learn animation because I had no idea where else to go. I was like, that's it. You go to art school and you learn and that's how you do it. Uh, so yeah, I, I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. That one was the closest and was kind of a weenie. So that was safer <laughs> than having to like move across the country or, you know, um, plus the city's just so beautiful. I really wanted to live there. So that was actually a huge factor. Uh, yeah, so I, I did the animation program there for a couple of years and graduated from there. And then I moved to Atlanta. So I've kind of been all over Georgia and that's when I started working on Squidbillies. That was my first job. I got very lucky. I got hired right out of college, which was awesome. And I realized later it doesn't always happen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And then I got a job working on Word Girl. That was up in Boston. So part of the animation lifestyle is that when the work runs out, sometimes you have to move, especially on the East Coast. There aren't that many studios around. So I uh, moved up to Boston Really loved living up there. Got to experience snow, which I didn't really get to see that much growing up. So that was really cool. Uh, it was a really, really great show to work on. Um, I learned a lot there. Squidbillies has its charms, but uh, the animation wasn't necessarily top notch. <laughs> if you watch it, you'll see that I'm being very generous. <laughs> um, so I basically had to relearn a lot of animation skills to work on Word Girl again. And I feel like later looking back on it, like I barely scraped in, like I got in cause it was like, Oh, she draws pretty good. And then I got there and it was like, Oh, her animation's not that great. <laughs> so I was doing lip sync for a while and, you know, having to learn everything again. And I eventually clawed my way back sort of to the top. I wouldn't say I was at the top, but you know, I can't, I got back into my own a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, I guess I got good enough that eventually I was able to jump onto Mina Monsters, which was nice because Mina Monsters is actually very challenging, has been a huge learning experience for me because the animation for that is just like, well, the character designs are very complex. And so you're having to think about a lot of stuff and animation and you're trying to do it fast. Uh, it's for a mobile game. So, you know, you can't spend months on an animation or anything. Uh, but yeah, so... That's pretty much my animation journey. That's where I am today. Oh, and Mina Monsters is in the Bay Area in San Francisco. So I've kind of been to a lot of major cities in the U.S., which has been really cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And I want to go back a little bit because that is a perfect chronology. And there's there are stories there because we oh, have yeah. discussed <laughs> I didn't want to spend the whole podcast introducing myself. <laughs> oh, no worries at all. But we're we're going to get into those stories. So... Let's actually go back to when you were in middle school and high school. Mm. What were some of the influences art-wise that you had that led you to realize that animation could be a career? Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm not sure if this is entirely true, but I want to say that it just dawned on me one day. And I remember what movie uh, it came from. I went and saw Beauty and the Beast, uh, the Disney version, of course. And I had seen other Disney movies and I'd always enjoyed them. But for some reason, it's like I walked out of the theater and I suddenly went, wait a minute, this what didn't just happen in a vacuum. People get paid to draw this, like it's drawings. For some reason, like I just had this idea, like not only do people make these, but they get paid for that. They, they can make a living that way. And then after that, I just started like, I guess, looking into it. Um, I was very, very fortunate, even though there wasn't a whole lot in my hometown about this. My public library uh, had a copy of The Illusion of Life. 
and I couldn't check it out because it was a reference book, but I would go there all the time and I would just look through the pages and I was just fascinated by how, you know, amazing the drawings were. And like, do you really draw like a ton of these drawings? Like you, every one of these drawings is a work of art. What do you mean you have 24 of them per second? You know, like, this is crazy. Um, so yeah, I'd say Disney was probably my biggest influence at the time. The Lion King was huge too. I'm a huge Lion King fan and I'm sure we'll talk about that too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'd say Disney was probably the biggest influence. And since I didn't know much about animation, I figured that they were the one, the only game in town. You know, I was like, I'm going to work for Disney one day is the way I would put it. You know, that was my dream because I didn't even know all this other stuff existed. Like, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't, I watched TV shows. I watched cartoons on TV, but I never thought somebody works on these too. I just thought, oh, animators are the people who make the Disney movies. So I saw, if, there were a few other animated movies. Um, Don Bluth stuff really was huge for me too because it was like Disney without the saccharin, you know? So it was like really, like the really good Don Bluth stuff, like uh, The Secret of Nim, Land Before Time, um, all the the Fievel movies and all those uh, before it kind of started to go downhill, <laughs> story-wise. Animation-wise, it was always great. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd say probably those were my biggest influences. Um, I grew up with some comic books and stuff too, but that, you know, I started to appreciate those more later. That is definitely something that I feel affected a lot of people, I, oh, yeah. especially the early Disney movies. I've talked to a lot of people where, you know, the movie for them was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And, you know, the movie for me was an American tale because I remember sitting oh, in the yeah. theater and watching the giant mouse machine at the end and realizing yeah. this is amazing. What is this? this is, <laughs> Who did this and how? This is an amazing like monster mouse drawing. Yeah. Absolutely. So then tell us then about how you got your job at Squidbillies coming out of SCAD? Because I think this is really important. What you did, I think, is brilliant. <laughs> and I think that more students need to do this if they're not already. I agree. <laughs> and I actually was just talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. And she was like, I really want to find a job. And I was like, you need to just call studios. And she was like, nobody does that. And I was like, do it. It worked for me. But uh, basically- you and Eric. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't always work. And I don't know what the percentages are. It might be a very low percentage, but it's like, try everything, right? So at least try this and try something else and, you know, try all the things. Um, you know, why wouldn't you? But uh, actually, I know exactly why you wouldn't, because I was one of those kids that I was like, that's scary. And what if they don't like me? And I'm very introverted. And I don't like to put myself out there. Um, so I was taking a class and the only reason I actually did this is because it was for a grade and I had to, <laughs> but I was taking a portfolio class and it's probably like one of the most useful classes I took while I was at SCAD. And the professor was like, you're going to give me a list of, I think it was 10 studios. Might've been more, it might've been 20, but she was like, you need to find a list of 10 studios that you really want to work at for whatever reason. It can be as simple as you want to live in that city or it can be, I really love their style and I want to work for them. You know, whatever, maybe one of your friends works there and you just want to work with your friend, like whatever, but you just need to give me a list of 10 and then turn it in. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I did that part. And then she was like, okay, you're now going to call these studios. You're not going to email them. You're actually going to get on the phone and call them and try to get through to a real person and, you know, submit your portfolio, which we had been working on all year. And we had at that point. And I was just like, oh God, <laughs> uh, I can't do this, but I have to. So I just had to suck it up and do it. But one of the studios that I called was Radical Axis in Atlanta. 
And I honestly just picked them because I was like, well, they're close. Like they're in Atlanta. I don't have to move across the country. I don't know why I was like more scared. Like it's hard enough when you're like leaving college and having to form a new life. But like, it's even harder if, for me, at least it was, if I felt like I had to go really far away to do it. Like if I felt like I could just go to like three hours, you know, west, then it's like, okay, that's handleable for some reason. Um, so yeah, I called and I actually got through to this guy that I found out later is almost impossible to get in touch with. Um, Craig Harton over at Radical Access, he used to be like the, the animation director over there. And I had friends later who I was trying to get work there and they were looking for animators and they would still not be able to get through to him because he was just he was busy he didn't always return calls like it was just crazy but I called and he picked up like right away and was like hi and I told him who I was and I said I have my stuff up on a website but I can also mail you my portfolio I had a hard copy too I'd spent all this money to print up my portfolio and put together a website and uh I sent it in and they basically were like, cool, well, where do you live? And I was like, well, I'm in Savannah right now, but I'm planning to move to Atlanta. And he was like, well, when are you getting here? I said, well, in like a week, because it's like, it like the last assignment, I guess, in portfolio or like a couple of weeks. I was about to graduate. He was like, well, come on in for an interview when you get here, like after he saw my work. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. And so like, just like that, I had an interview and I got hired after that. And so it was sort of easy, but I had to sort of take that leap and put myself out there and, you know, jump in. But I, I know that a huge part of it was luck, too. <laughs> so I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> but you made the effort. And your story reminds me of Eric's story, too, because I talked to him a while back. Mm. And he had done the same thing. He used to drive out to Atlanta and just dress up nice and just walk into all the studios and introduce himself. That's even and better. His portfolio. <laughs> yeah, I hid behind a and, telephone. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why he got his job at Radical Access because he went in and got to talk to a person. And yeah. you did the same thing where you called them and you got to talk to a human being. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that doesn't always happen because I, and you can't even always find the number for the places, but it's like one of those things where you just have to try and you have to you know, get it what, however you can, you know, and just put yourself out there. Um, yeah. I feel like it's smart just to use every tool at your disposal. Yeah, exactly. Every job I've gotten since then has all been referrals from people I knew. So like that first job was the only time I actually cold called a place. Everything else has been, oh, I knew somebody and this just happened to, you know, work out. So like, I, and I hear about people getting jobs all kinds of ways, you know, so it's like, you never know what's going to work and it's going to be different for everybody. And I want to ask you too, because both you and Eric also had a similar experience with this, that you were in school when Disney shut down the Orlando studio. And yeah, a I lot think of I people like... were, that was like a ton of bricks for a lot of people yeah. who had dreams of working in 2D. Oh, and yeah. that happened back in 2004. And that was when uh, Home on the Range was the last film they did. And they didn't do yeah. Princess and the Frog until 2009. So there was a period of time where people didn't even believe that there was ever going to be 2D features again. Yeah. So I wanted to find out from you, what was it that encouraged you to stick with 2D animation anyway while you were in school, knowing that, you know, the place where you wanted to work was not going to have work for you? I think honestly, at that time, it was just pure naivete. I was just like, you know what? I don't know what this means. I don't know if I'm going to be living under a bridge animating. <laughs> like, that's how I used to joke about it. I was like, I might be living under a bridge doing this after I graduate. Oh, Margie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, we'll draw, we'll animate for food. But um, 
I honestly, I just love animation so much. And when I finally found what I wanted to do and it had taken my whole life, I was like, well, this is what I want to do though. And this is what I'm going to do. And I had a lot of, uh, 2004 would have been like a year before I started college. So, or a year before I went to art school, I went to a community college before then. Um, so that would have, that should have been me going, well, never mind. I'm not going to do it. But I guess instead I was just like, well, what else am I going to do? This is what I've been, you know, pursuing for a while now. And, and I finally found something that I got excited about. So it was like, I just got to do it and I'll figure it out when I get there, which isn't always the safest logic, but it just worked out in my case. Cause it turns out there was lots of 2d animation out there. It just wasn't Disney. And there's actually Disney 2d animation animation out there still, I think, but, um, you know, the features department was definitely gone or even when they brought it back for princess and the frog, it was just kind of like, you know, kind of, they kind of cobbled it back together and then it fell apart again afterwards, I think. So, so yeah, that was, uh, and everybody at the time was jumping ship to 3d cause they were like, well, now everybody's making 3d movies. 2d, you know, is old news and nobody's doing that anymore. Uh, and the school I was at even focused more on 3d, I think, um, and catered more to the 3d students and the 2d classes were just sort of like, here's an introduction to get you started so you can do 3d, uh, later. <laughs> so uh, but I, I just stuck to my guns because I was like, I don't like 3D. Uh, I'm not saying I would never do it, but I like drawing. And that's why I got into this, to draw a whole bunch of drawings. So I just it was kind of stubbornness, a little bit of naivety. And yeah. It paid off, though. It did, yeah, in my case. <laughs> and I mean, I have friends who went into 3D and never got jobs. So I, I know, again, a lot of it is luck and you have to work hard to get where you're going. And even if you work hard, you might not make it because you just might not get that break at the right time or whatever. But yeah, in general, I was just, I was kind of proud that even though I stuck to the the sinking ship and <laughs> it still worked out for me. I think it's important to note too, that you kept up with current technology that, you know, you taught yourself flash, you know, you learned the different programs that were being used for 2d when you saw mm -hmm. the direction that it was going. I think well, that's important too. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, I actually, it was more of an accident. I mean, it wasn't an accident. It was more that my first job required me to know Flash. And so I just had to learn it. I knew a tiny, tiny bit, but I, I had never even taken a class in it at SCAD. Like I just, I had done a 24 hour film festival with some friends. That's where you, you make a movie in 24 hours. And the guy, there was three of us and the guy who, the main guy who was running it was like, well, we're going to do this in Flash because it's the fastest. And I didn't know Flash and the other girl was like kind of knew Flash. And so we were like, okay. And he just sort of gave us the bare bones, like, here's what you have to do. And we ended up making a movie in like, you know, a night. <laughs> it was just like, okay, cool. But that was literally my only experience with Flash till I got to Radical Axis. And then uh, they, they taught me on the job there, which honestly is the best way to work, to learn because you're getting paid. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I'm playing around a little bit with uh, animating in Photoshop right now, which is interesting. But a lot of the other programs are kind of expensive and it's more like, well, hopefully one day someone will teach me and pay me while I'm learning. <laughs> but if not, I'll, you know, if I have to, I'd, I'd go back and try to learn on my own because Flash is still hanging in there. But there are definitely some other programs coming out that, you know, everybody seems to be going with like Toon Boom, stuff like that. Yeah, I know at our school, like they were just starting to get Toon Boom right before I left. Mm. And I know that as far as the industry goes, like, Harmony and Storyboard Pro have become really, really popular. Yeah. And I yeah. wanted to ask you too, so when you were in school then, they weren't teaching Flash, were you all then 
animating on paper with you know light boxes and yeah well they program and all they that were kind teaching of flash it was just kind of an elective and i never chose to take it um that's why the other girl that i was in the group with had knew it and the you know the other guy i think he he was self-taught but he might have taken the class too i just never took it because like at the time i don't think i entirely knew what it was like i, I might have but i was like oh it's like what those people on new grounds use you know, it's like a cheap tool or whatever so i didn't really associate with like high caliber 2d animation um and uh yeah we actually had um animation discs and light tables and stuff at scad which was really nice um so yeah i learned on paper just like i wanted to <laughs> so that was cool the dream fulfilled yeah we had so like capture got... stations and everything yep. so once you got to work you know working with squidbillies over at radical axis what were some of the unexpected things that you discovered that were, let me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> what were some of the biggest challenges going from being a student to now being a working professional? Oh man. Um, you know, I could be remembering wrong cause I have a terrible memory, but, uh, I feel like they're the transition. I mean, it, it felt more intense cause now you're getting paid and now it's your responsibility and like your livelihood. So there was a little bit of a qualitative difference, but as far as like hitting deadlines and getting things done on time and staying up all night to finish a project, that just felt like college, you know, it just felt like college just rolled over. Um, Cause you know, in college I was doing that too. It was like, I gotta get the grade. I gotta get this turned in. I got, you know, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. You know, I'm gonna go to my job and then I'm gonna come home and work till three in the morning to finish my my final project or my portfolio or whatever. Uh, I guess it was, it was nice because I didn't have to do that second job. You know, I was just going to my job. And so that, that sort of fun college experience of getting to draw and like being around a bunch of cool people just kind of translated over to the job, which was really nice. Um, Cause I mean, it was still like everybody, there was, you know, fairly young people either just out of college or like a few years out of college and, you know, we're all kind of learning together. And so it felt very much like I was like still amongst like animators and artists. And cause I mean, I was, <laughs> So yeah, it was a, maybe a little, maybe a little more stressful just thinking that like, well, if you get fired, then that's it. But I guess it's no more stressful than being like, well, if I fail my classes, then I've spent all this money and I have to go home and, you know, I failed. So I, I don't know. It was, it was a little different, but not too much than college or than animation school, I should say. All right. And then you were there for, was it about two years or longer? Uh, yeah, I think I was there two years. Let me think. I would have been there in 2007, I think. I always have trouble remembering this. Nine. Yeah, that would have, yeah, that's right. So about two years. And then you, you mentioned that a referral was how you found out about Word Girl. How did yeah. that come about? So um, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, in, in this one case, uh, well, in this case in Atlanta, the work wasn't necessarily running out, but I was just kind of getting like tired of it. <laughs> Um, and I was kind of wanting to make a little more money and the money wasn't great in Atlanta. I mean, the cost of living was great, so that helped, but I was just kind of like ready for something new. Uh, and so I had a friend who was working at a studio in Boston, uh, soup to nuts. They're famous. I think they're most famous for, uh, uh, home movies and Dr. Katz, but they were doing a kid's show called word girl. And they were looking for animators who knew Flash. And at that point, I knew Flash really well. And I was an animator. So um, my friend basically put in a good word for me. And I was able to, you know, talk to them. And I basically got the job. 
So that, you know, that was a little easier than <laughs> having to cold call people. <laughs> and you mentioned that just the, the style of the show, but also the quality level of the show was much higher. How long did it take you before you felt like you had ramped up to the level where you were now comfortable working on the show? It took a while. Um, I think I was there four years. It probably took me a good year to like feel like I was like not drowning anymore. And part of it was that I got there and I was all like, oh yeah, I'm a big hotshot, you know, because like I had left Radical and I, I've like, I, this team for Squidbillies was like maybe four animators. I think we might've ballooned up a little bit at some point, but usually there was like a small, small team. So I always felt like part of like an exclusive club. And, uh, then going to Boston and finding out that like my animation skills were not very good. <laughs> it was kind of a big blow to my ego, but I needed it because I needed to improve and I didn't realize it because I was sort of in this bubble, you know, of like, oh, I'm pretty good. You know, I work professionally. I'm a hotshot. Um, so, yeah, so I got there and I was like, you know, and at first no one said anything, but they put me on a lot of lip sync. And I was like, hmm. And uh, part of it was. I, I took it and I owned it and I got really fast at it to the point where I was doing it like three or four times as fast as the other people. So I think I stayed on lip sync a long time for that reason. And it wasn't until we switched animation directors and they finally said, okay, I'm so tired of seeing you always getting lip sync. You know, we need to figure this, out. we need to move you on to other things. Um, but part of it at first was, I don't think my animation was very strong. So they were just kind of giving me some, something to do that I could handle. Um, I was still doing animation at the same time too, but it was like, you know, half the week I'd be doing, or the whole week, one week I'd be doing lip sync and the other week I'd be doing animation. Um, so yeah, it probably took like a year, a year and a half for me to start really like learning. And I think I, I learned a lot just from like other people and like looking through files. Cause you know, all the files were on the server and I could access them all. So I could go in there and open other people's files and see how they did things. And we'd have reviews where we'd watch the episodes, you know, at once they were finished and I'd, be like looking at just really beautiful animation and going, ah, oh, this is what I need to aspire to <laughs> get back to my roots when I loved animation and quality animation. <laughs> Very good. And then what made you decide to switch from working in television to then working in mobile games? It was never a choice. It was just, that's where the work was at the time. Um, actually, I think I was against the choice at first because Eric actually contacted me at one point and was like, Hey, you need to come out to California. This is where like a lot of the, the work is now, a lot of animations out here now. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it one day, you know, but uh, he was like, well, I'm working in mobile games. And I was like, Oh, those are those things where they just take all your money. And, you know, I was just <laughs> kind of like ethically a little like, that seems skeezy. I don't know if I want to do stuff for them, even though I worked on, you know, Squidbilly. So who am I to talk? But, um, but yeah, so I was just kind of like, I don't know, I guess I could do it, but it seems kind of weird. And um, that was like maybe a year before I started working for Mino Monsters. And then um, the work started to run out on Word Girl, which is usually what happens, I think, when animators switch jobs. I think that's like usually the, <laughs> the largest reason the project ends. And uh, actually on Word Girl, it was really interesting. They were super ahead. So like they were ahead by like several seasons. And so... The network was like, well, we're not sure if we're going to renew, but if we do, it won't be for like another year. So like we basically just had no more work to do because we finished it all. And so the studio was trying to find other projects, but some people were already starting to leave because there wasn't enough work or they were being let go or put on hiatus. Um, so um, around that time, uh, I had met this girl, Courtney, online, and she goes by uh, 
Well, I don't know if she wants, if I want to out her real name online. <laughs> She's very secretive. Okay. Anyway, um, well, we'll you're just all going to find We'll just call her Courtney. <laughs> we'll call her Courtney. Although I'm going to out her when I say that she does the art for Mina Monsters. <laughs> anyway, I had seen her on DeviantArt and I loved her stuff. And I was like, man, she's just really talented. One of those people that you follow and you're just like, oh, they're amazing. And, um, but I never really had met her until I, I joined this like chat community and like she was in there and there was a whole bunch of artists, which is what drew me to it. And I was like, man, all these artists are so good. And I started talking to her and I was like, man, she's really funny and cool, you know? So I started talking to her and then a bunch of us decided we were going to meet together in New York city, which is where, uh, you know, a bunch of them lived. And so we're like, yeah, let's get together. And I was like, well, I'm in Boston. That's not that far away. So we all got together and we were like, oh, you guys are all cool. So then that was just like a random, like meetup that happened, a random encounter in my life. And then later, like, I want to say like a year later or more when the work was running out on word girl, you know, she basically got in touch with me and was like, hey, I'm working in San Francisco now at this company called Mino Monsters. I'm doing the art for it and they need animators. And I thought of you because she had found out that I was an animator at some point, you know, <laughs> and so um, so that's kind of how that happened. <laughs> so I just I just sort of went because it was, you know, it was a job. They were going to pay well. Um, and it was her artwork and it was like getting to animate her artwork. It was like, yeah, I want to do that. It's really cool. Um, so I never actively made the decision of I'm going to switch to mobile now. It was just more like I'm going to go because I like the art and I want to do this and it seems really fun. And it just happens to be a mobile game. And tell us more about the game. What is the game about? Oh, so this is actually probably the thing that I'm most proud of, of the things I've worked on. Um, although I love Word Girl too. And if you ever get a chance to watch an episode, you should totally check it out. I <laughs> love that show. I yeah. actually used it as a reference for a project that I did when I was in school. Oh, nice. Like as a storyboarding thing or? More of as a design thing. Because we had oh, to, okay. for a project that we were working on, we had to pick different shows for mm -hmm. certain age groups and just find shows that we really like the style. And oh, someone cool. in my group had recommended Word Girl and I'd never seen it. And I ended up watching, I don't know how many episodes in one sitting because it was one of those, oh, that was funny. Oh, there's more. And I just yeah. kept clicking through. Yeah, it's such a really great little show. Um, we'll get back to Mina Monsters in a second, but it's just a quick divergent. Uh, oh, absolutely. Path onto Word Girl before we leave it. Uh, when I moved to Boston, I was just pursuing a job. I was like, well, the style looks good and I'll probably enjoy it, but it's a kid's show. It's going to be boring and whatever, you know, but whatever. It's it's work and it's animation and who cares. And then I got there and I actually started watching clips and everything. And I was like, this show is really funny. Like I would watch this even if I wasn't working on it, you know, <laughs> like, and if I had a TV, which I didn't, <laughs> but um I just ended up really enjoying it and it won an Emmy for writing in children's television. And I was just like, that's awesome. You know, I'm so glad they got recognition. Cause like the writing was just really good. Um, my in-laws actually watch it. <laughs> They'll call me with questions. They'll be like, Hey, tell me about that one character. What's their deal. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I won't even be able to answer. Cause I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> it's like, but, you're um, asking me to go back in the wave machine. Several yeah. Years. <laughs> it's like, or maybe I didn't see that episode. I don't remember. I didn't watch every single episode. Sorry. And you worked on, <laughs> at least 60 episodes you worked on yeah, a i lot. guess so there, it was a lot i mean they were only 15 minutes long so like they went by pretty quick um but yeah it was uh there was just so many episodes and <laughs> i never i never like sat down and watched them all you know i'd see clips from all of them from time to time but yeah so i was like really happy about the work i did on word girl and i was really happy with that show um but mino monsters was uh is just gorgeous. And it's, you know, it's Courtney's art and she's incredible. So I was just like, oh man, you know. Um, and it's basically a 
Pokemon-like game. It's a monster battle game where you collect monsters and you, you know you can take care of them and fight them against other monsters. And there's an, uh, a really cool storyline that developed. Um, I'm actually really proud of the writing on our game as well. Um, I think it's very funny and silly, and it's pretty cool. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I guess what you would call a freemium game where like you don't have to pay to to play it, but there's like little extra stuff you can buy and boosts and bonuses and things and fancy monsters if you want to like put money into it. But, you, you know, I've, 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 I think I've spent $5 on it the whole time I've worked there and I've been there for like four years. Um, I mean, I, I get free stuff too. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there, I think there was one time where I was like, well, I'm just going to throw some money at this finally. Cause I'm very stubborn when it comes to those kinds of games. I'm like, no, they're not getting my money. <laughs> But um, but we want all of our listeners to go out and purchase yes, everything. You should spend money on my <laughs> game. <laughs> well, it's funny. All of us artists are like, well, we worked on the game. Why aren't you giving us more free stuff? Why are we paying money? <laughs> we I want another shirt. <laughs> I know. Um, so, but yeah, no, I, I'm extremely proud of the game. Uh, it's fun to play. They're always trying to find ways to make it more fun to play too. They're always like, is this fun or is this just stupid and boring? And how do we make this more entertaining? Because you know, and that all that can come back to the money too, because it's like you make more money if people are really getting into the game and enjoying it. But it's also because like everybody there is just really passionate about like about games. I'll hear them discuss other games and be like, "Well, I really hate how they do this because I'm I was just bored while I was playing it. And I didn't like that, or I thought this was really dumb, or this was just an easy cash grab, and we don't want to go in that direction." Or you know, it's like they try to balance it so it doesn't just it's not just like money, money, money. <laughs> um, so the the gameplay is really fun. The art is phenomenal, and then the story is really funny, like very silly. So yeah, um, I believe actually I should double check this, but I believe the website is loading, loading, loading. All right. Well, we can go on. I'll, I'll come back to the. the we'll, we will come back. Yes. What are some of the similarities and differences between? working on a mobile game and working on a television show? Um, for me, the transition has been very easy because working on a, like I'm still working in Flash actually, this whole time I've been working in Flash. Um, and it's always the fact that I knew Flash that got me the job ever since that first job. So the way they construct the game right now at Mino Monsters, it doesn't feel that different from working on a show. The main difference is that we're doing a lot of uh, the same kinds of actions. So there'll be some home screen animations for the monsters, and the home screen is just where you interact with your monsters and you poke them and they do cute things and you know you, you get to check on their stats and all that. Um, and so we get pretty creative with those. We're like, what should he do? And it's usually based on what kind of monster it is, what it looks like it might do, what we think is silly or fun. Um, and then they all have battle animations. Now the battle animations can get repetitive because it's like, okay, each monster has two attacks and, you know, one of them's the more ordinary attack and the other one's usually like fancy with lots of special effects, but then they all have like a faint animation or, or not a faint, but like a, like a reaction, like when they get hit, uh, they all have to have a battle idol. So they're kind of idling before they fight. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is like a little bit repetitive, although each monster is so different that it tends to be, you know, somewhat different from monster, monster, monster to monster. Um, and then when working on a show, it was like, you got a whole scene. So you had like this huge chunk of like a minute long or something or more. And you had to go in and like, you know, there was acting, there was lip sync, there was all kinds of 
different kinds of stuff going on. Whereas Mino Monsters, it's more action oriented and uh, but a little bit repetitive, but not in a bad way. Not like, oh, I've done this a million times, you know, but it's more like, here's the template for the kind of thing they need to do. Now get creative based on, does he have six legs or does he have wings or, you know, whatever. And along with Mino Monsters, you are also working on several personal projects. And I would like to get into those because they're very, very interesting. You have a lot of different comic book projects going on. So tell us, <laughs> tell us more about that. Well, I, I know a lot of animators and artists in general who have personal projects. Like <laughs> It seems to be like a trend with us. That is we definitely into, the trend. Yeah. yeah like we, we were talking about it before where VizDev has children's books, storyboard artists have comic books. Yes. Animators tend to have their animated short. That's not always the case. I mean, there's definitely cross-pollination there, but that, right. that tends to be the typical trajectory of most people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, it's like, I love animation itself. Um, but the more I the more I worked in it, and the more I went back and saw movies that I'd grown up with, and then new, newer movies coming out, the more I started to get into story. And um, I got to, I just, I just began to have an appreciation in more recent years of like, telling a really good story. And I guess it started with wondering why some movies worked and some didn't. Or I'd come out of a theater and somebody'd be like, "Man, you know that second act was weak or whatever," and it was like, "What does that mean?" You know, so I'd have to go research it. But um, uh, learning more about story got me fascinated with wanting to tell my own stories. Um, and for me, it sort of has a spiritual element as a Christian. You know, it's like I want to tell stories that honor God. And so, at first, I thought, "Okay, well, I'm going to do animations." And then I went okay, animation is a lot of work and you usually need like a whole team of people. So in the very early days, like back in college, I was like, yeah, you get a team of people together and like we can start a Christian animation studio, you know? And like now looking back, I'm like, well, you know, that's like a whole other project. That's like, if you want to start your own company and then you got to worry about, you know, uh, paying everybody and bringing them on. And like, what does it mean to say that you're Christian? Do you just do Christian stuff? Or do you, you know, it's, it's just like all this stuff. And I realized that what I really just wanted to do was tell stories. And I think I slowly drifted into comics out of that because comics is something that you can sort of do on your own and you don't need a whole team of people. Uh, you can just sit at home and draw something on a page and upload it to the internet and you have an audience, um, you know, if you're any good <laughs> or you don't um, and you just upload it for your own joy. I guess my my personal project that has the most content <laughs> is, is the Lion King fan comic I made, uh, Proudlands. And that kind of started as a joke in college. Like I was like, man, you know, people who do like fan characters, like like wolves and lions and things, and they give them like purple manes and like wings. And this is my character. And he's a secret science experiment that escaped from the lab. And, you know, and it's obviously like a Balto character. Or, and he's very sparkly. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's very, always whole, like, very sparkly. Yeah, exactly. The whole sparkle dogs thing, or now it's like scene wolf or scene dog, where it's like you're wearing clothes and like hoodies and like leg warmers and they have iPod shuffles and all that. Um, so I was sort of making fun of that. And I started my own Lion King comic where I was like, it's going to be about a fallen angel and he's purple with a teal mane and like he's, he has this dark past and, you know. Oh my God. And I did it as a joke to be like, I bet I can make this dumb story and a whole bunch of people will just read it because it's a sparkly lion, whatever. And so I actually didn't take it seriously at first. And then um, I, I dropped it after a while because – 
if you don't really have any passion behind a project like that, you do it for a while and then you go, man, this is a lot of work, you know? And I didn't have much of a reason other than I love Lion King and haha, this is funny. And let's see if I can become popular on DeviantArt doing something silly. And then uh, years later, when I started thinking about uh, story and like doing comics, I thought, you know, I need to do like some practice stuff. I need to do a practice comic and get better at this. And so I suddenly went, wait, I have this whole kind of story half begun back in college. I could, you know, make that happen again and try to finish it or at least, you know, get a ways into it. And that would give me an excuse to draw these comic book pages and learn about, you know, dialogue and story writing. And so I went and read all kinds of books and did all this research and got started on that and doing pages and so yeah, I sort of got obsessed with comic making. Um, I still love animation. I still do that, but I'm also splitting it up with comics, which is <laughs> too much work. I need to just pick one, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and I like that you have your own personal projects and I, I like where it came from too. I like how you, it started off as a joke and you realized, but you know, if I'm going to stick with it, I need to have it be something I actually want to do. And you yeah. plan it out. Because I've seen the thumbnails that you do and planning pages and you, you've read all these different books on comics and whatnot. So you have a plan for what you're doing. And I think that's why it's working out well is you have that plan. It's not just, I'm just going to do a thing and see what happens with it now. Yeah. Well, I do now. Like it started out as I'm just going to do a thing and let's see what happens. And then um, when I started to take it more seriously, I went back into my story, which I'd never even written a story. I'd just written like a, a few pages of script at the beginning. And I was just kind of freeforming it, like improvising it as I went. And then when I got into storytelling, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this story and I'm going to plan out what the structure is, how it begins, how it ends. And so, you know, I sat down and did all that. Um, I don't think I did it particularly well, but it was a good first attempt. You know, it was like, okay, cool. I, I did it. And now I can just get started on drawing because... Um, for me, it was more about practicing drawing, learning about pacing in, when, in comic books, um, and then just drawing more and getting better at, you know, actually putting down what I, how I want to tell the story and can I make a powerful impact with my drawings. So if you, if you go and you look at the pages, it's very obvious, like at the beginning, it's like kind of cheap and, you know, thrown together. And then my style sort of changes as the pages go. Like sometimes I decided, well, I'm going to do shading. And sometimes I went, that's too much work let's just go to black and white, no shading. And the style changes from time to time <laughs> as I'm learning. But you're learning new things and that's yeah. important. And I yeah. want to take a, a little turn here now and talk about, you know, just you've been in a lot of like online groups. You've done a lot of things on deviant art, you know, you've met up with other artists and I wanted to discuss just the impact that you know, mentors and teachers have had in your life and how you've been able to find, you know, the people that have inspired you to go forth and, you know, succeed in your career? Oh, man. Um, I think that like having online art sites like Tumblr and DeviantArt is, has just been amazing for like seeing other people's art and getting to experience it. Um, it's almost like how I went from Squidbillies to Word Girl and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm... I thought I was, you know, pretty great, but now I'm a, I'm a small, I'm a big fish in like a big pond or whatever, you know, or a small fish in a big pond. Um, it's like, you, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm doing pretty good. My art's getting pretty good. And then you go online and you go on Tumblr and you're like, wow, 
okay, I suck. <laughs> These people are all amazing and they're 15. You know, I know. They're always that, that, 15. That's the thing. It's like, <laughs> what? what? No. Okay. They're like, oh, I just started college and they're already like, you know, miles ahead of you. Um, but I, I feel like there's two ways to, to look at that. Like you can look at that and get discouraged and be like, I'll never be this good. I give up. Or, you know, you can look at it and go, I may never be this good, but this is where the bar is. I at least want to try to reach for it, you know, and maybe one day I'll be that good and I'll look back and go, wow, I've come a long way. Or maybe one day I'll never hit, hit that, but at least my art's going to get better because, you know, the bar's higher than I'm pretty good and I'm going to stay where I am. Now the bar is, no, they're really good. And I want to start approaching that if I can. Um, so I, even though like I do get those instant feelings of, wow, I like when I see something really amazing, especially if it's something that I focus on strongly. So like, if I see a really amazing, you know, painting art develop or a uh, movie development painting or something, I'm just like, oh, that's gorgeous. I'm, I'm never even going to try to do that. So I can just appreciate it. But if I see like a really amazingly laid out comic page, then I'm like, oh, that hurts. Cause I'll never do that in my own comic that I want to make someday. Um, but you know, after that pain goes, it's like, you have to sort of become humble and be like, you know what, this is, I want to aspire to this. I can learn from this. I can be inspired by this. Um, so that's sort of the approach I try to take, but it's, I love that there's so many people online and so many different kinds of styles. Like you're, you're you know, I'm into comics, but that, even that is just like, what does that mean? Like there's people who use websites to, to do comics. And what they do is you, you know, you click, from one frame to the next. And now there's even motion comics like on DeviantArt where you can like, it's almost like a movie, like you, you know, it's like storyboarding almost where you're, you can highlight certain frames and you can add audio and, you know, so there's all kinds, kinds of crazy stuff going on. So even just exploring comics is like so diverse, uh, such a diverse experience. Um, so uh, as far as mentors, I think the internet has been phenomenal for being, connecting me to people who are really famous that I wouldn't necessarily meet. So I could go to conventions sometimes and they're there and I can meet them there too. But as far as like being an introvert and just being online all the time, <laughs> it's very useful if somebody you admire has a blog or a website or a Twitter that you can just follow and you can sort of get an idea of what kind of person they are, what their influences are, where they come from as an artist. I think uh, as far as comics, like, I mean, some of my big influences are like a lot of people's influences, like Bill Watterson with Calvin and Hobbes. Um, Bone by Jeff Smith is huge. Like that, that, that's half the reason I do stuff in black and white is because of that comic. Cause I'm like, black and white is beautiful when it's done well. And you don't have to have color to qualify something. You don't have to be like, well, this would be better in color. You know, it'll be different in color. So I just love, I really appreciate black and white comics. And I think Bone showed me that like, not only an appreciation for black and white comics, but also just like sort of a different kind of comic. Cause before then I just saw like superhero stuff. And with Bone, it was like, wow, this looks like Disney or Warner Brothers, but in a comic book. Like, this is crazy. So I think uh, Doug Tenaple is a, is huge for me, too. He's also influenced by Watterson, and I love his art, and I think he tells amazing stories. And he's a Christian, so, of course, I identify with that, too. And I'm like, ooh, a Christian storyteller. Um, and it's kind of cool seeing how he approaches it versus, like, Christian storytelling in, like, current movies and things like that. Because he, he has, like, a completely crazy spin on that kind of thing. And it's not something you see very often because not a lot of crazy Christians tell their stories. You tend to get like the quiet or churchy Christians who tell their stories or, or tell stories and it's very tame and he kind of takes it and stretches it and goes nuts with it. So I really admire him for that. 
And that concludes part one of the interview with Margie Bordner. Thanks again to Margie for being such a wonderful guest, and I will include links to her portfolio in the show notes. And if you like today's episode, make sure to subscribe and also to leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of those reviews help more people to find out about the show. And I want to thank everyone who has left a review. I read them all and really appreciate it. And also you can now check out the show by going to Stitcher Radio and Player FM. So we are now on those platforms as well. And you can find out more about the show by visiting the website www.theanimatedjourney.com. And while you're there, you can support our sponsors, Amazon and Audible and Blueberry website hosting by clicking on the banner ads on the right-hand side of the websites and doing your shopping either at Amazon, downloading a book from audible.com, or if you're interested in hosting your own podcast over at blueberry.com, you can do so by clicking on those links. Every time you click on those links and then make your regular purchases, a little bit of money comes back to the show. So it's a good way to support the show. Thank you to everyone who has donated thus far. It really helps out the show and it is much appreciated. On Twitter, you can follow the show by going to at Journey. You can check out the show on Instagram by going to at Journey, And you can become a fan on Facebook by visiting www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. And if you want to see what I've been up to, you can check out my Twitter page, which is at SketchySoul. You can check out my Instagram page at sketchy underscore soul. On Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And you can view my online portfolio by visiting www.sketchysoul.com. So tune in next week for part two of the Margie Bordner interview. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.